0: The following podcast is produced on the lands of the Boomerang people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria, Australia. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands, pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back, everyone, to Bite Your Thumb, a podcast in which I will explore my complete disdain for what is arguably Shakespeare's most well-known play, Romeo and Juliet. Okay, let me explain myself for this week. I am full of shame, and the urge to bang one's head upon thine writing table is Strong because I did the big, silly, stupid thing whilst making this week's episode. So for some context, a big part of what inspired me to start this podcast was finding a piece of homework that managed to survive years of being stuffed away in a box. It was a dual film review of Romeo and Juliet, the one by Franco Zeffirelli in 1968 and the latter being, of course, Baz Luhrmann's adaptation in 1996. And boy, I had to share this archived gem with someone because this is some quality, scathing language by Teenage Me. And I knew straight away that the partner in crime that had to read back through this with me would be my good buddy Marie Kelly, a Melbourne-based filmmaker, actor, and published author. She is a hoot and a half, and was so much fun to laugh at this with. However, I somehow made the rookie error of not recording the entire first half of the reading. I just didn't press record. I somehow forgot. Yeah, yeah, I know. God, I, I know. I don't deserve to be podcasting. You know what? Just throw away my equipment. Throw it away. Give me some harsh words. Slap me on the butt. Thank God Marie is as generous as she is because she let us go back all the way to the beginning and start again, so unfortunately there's no beginning ramble with us two, it's lost in the void of Zoom, but I still believe that this is an enjoyable, silly episode that still touches on some interesting and valid perspectives, and I have Marie to thank for that. So sit back and listen to this disaster of an edit (laughs) as we explore some cinema history. Buckle in. Two star-crossed lovers doomed from the moment they lay eyes on each other. But hey, what's the harm of turning this romantic doomfest into a film? (laughs) No harm done. (laughs) Perfect.
1: (laughs) What we love. Yeah, exactly. Good old doomfest. Doomfest. Perfect for
0: 2020 oh my god it's such a mood that's why I started this podcast because Romeo and Juliet is so depressing it's like oh hey just like 2020 (laughs) Uh Ah. there have been two well known attempts to make the tragedy into Hollywood history and the two directors to take a stab no pun intended (laughs)
1: pun intended intended.
0: those two men were Franco Zeffirelli and Baz Luhrmann yay the boys the boys back and back they're they're back and they're making shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> and then my teacher writes a great introduction which is so true that was amazing introduction <laughs> okay let's we're have in a look. The zone. we are in the zone and we're ready to Get even more brutal. Let's take a look at the first version to hit the screen, Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, which was made in 1968. The opening scene is promising with a colourful marketplace with the locals dressed in the appropriate fashion of ye old days. Very appropriate. Ye old days. Ye old days, <laughs> where codpiece were at the front of fashion. <laughs> Hashtag bring back the codpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, no. <laughs> yeah, and then I summarise, yeah, much too tight tights and flowing skirts. But unfortunately, <gasps> heel turn, such a high start, takes a dull and boring tumble. I should just review films more often because I'm just so, I'm just so enticing. 50 Savage. Are, the, yeah, I just want to keep going. <laughs> so I did pick at 15. I'm sure I, you did.
1: not mm,
0: Let's keep reading, Marie. The emotions of the main characters are bland. <laughs> <laughs> and they look as though they are distracted by the onset buffet table behind the camera's prying eyes. I mean who wouldn't be? I would be. Oh, I would totally be. That's why I don't act. <laughs> that, that's why that's why that's why we leave it to you. You're <laughs> not
1: distracted. That's why <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bad though. If there's food in front of me, I wanna eat it. While
0: Romeo is introduced as the sorrowful and just plain boring teenager, Juliet is overdramatic and trying much too hard making any scrap of acting skill that she should have shown in the tryouts disappear and dwindle into nothingness. Woof. I am... Oh. And... Because the actors, they were 16 and 17 at the time. They were actual teenagers, so they probably weren't at the height no. of their acting prowess. But I'm just like, no, no. screw these kids. <laughs> you suck. Yeah, no! Oh, Slay them! slay them to hell. I'm back. <laughs> I mean, it was the late 60s going into the early 70s, so it was a very
1: interesting mm. time. And and Juliet is a very hard character. I don't know. I feel like nearly every version of Juliet that I've seen except for Claire Danes,
0: oh yeah, is over so dramatic. Mm. And we will get on to Claire Danes. Um, I have some interesting info about that as well, which we will get into once we get onto to yes. That's very interesting. Um, let's keep going, Zeffirelli. Let's keep going, Zeffirelli. Let's get him out of here. Yeah. Every character has the same dull to- tone to their voice and has no personality whatsoever. Mm. Mm. The only character on which I can thoroughly rely is the one and only Mercutio. And I do agree with that, because when I rewatched this film, I did enjoy Mercutio. And it's actually um, very interesting, we'll maybe go into this a little bit later, but a parallel that I did see between this film and the Baz Luhrmann one, when he has his giant monologue when they're on the way to the party, where he's just talking nonsense about dreams and fairies and all that sort of stuff. It starts off as this really funny thing from the group, all the guys are laughing, and then he just keeps getting more and more and more intense, and it becomes not funny anymore, Like, and everyone just kind of gets freaked out by Mercutio, and it's up to Romeo to touch him on the shoulder and be like, "You're talking about nothing. Calm down." Yeah. and it's interesting how, in the original, it's just oh, just crazy old Maccusio. He's so eccentric. And then in the Baz Luhrmann version, he's like, he's probably on a drug trip. <laughs> this is why he's losing yeah. shit. Yeah, with his bouncy and witty personality, the movie would give off a tiny glimmer of hope whenever Maccusio came onto the screen. But his death was a sign that this movie was going to have to go on without him and for me that wasn't a good sign it sounds like i'm surprised it sounds like because i'd read the play before i saw this movie so i knew he was going to have to leave (laughs) yeah still disappointed (laughs) like damn it
1: it's because you're not like reading it's like when a character i think it's more when you see a character and you can connect to them a little bit more yeah yeah You know, especially because reading a play is so much different to seeing a play on stage.
0: Exactly. The only other highlight of the movie was a pointless boob shot and even that wasn't entertaining. (laughs) I mean, that's coming from a straight 14-year-old girl. I mean, of course I wasn't entertained
1: by that. (laughs) Yeah, 16-year-old titties.
0: Yeah, because Olivia Hussey was 16 when they made this film and that is, I don't know how that passed, like the Hollywood censors or anything like that. It's just like well well a titty's a titty send to print every titty's a titty every Ooh. titty's a titty it's nearly the 70s you're going to get 10,000 more titty shots
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah this is why we skip the skip over the 70s when we study cinema it's just like ah uh, yeah and then the 60s and then ah uh, yeah then we go straight to the 90s and early 2000s anyway boom <laughs> <Fun>. <laughs> and i sum this up <laughs> If you like being bored to death while drool drips down your face and the popcorn starts to taste stale, then Zeffirelli's version isn't for you. Woof, woof, woof. woof. (laughs) Who let the dogs out?
1: Woof, 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 woof.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, I definitely still agree with the fact... And this is like after I'd watched both the films in a row, I instantly decided if I had to choose which film to watch again, it would definitely be the Loman one. Even if I don't, st- even if it's still a film I don't even really enjoy that much, I would still take it over the Sevarelli version because, you know, it was very much, much thrilling at the time and it was a commercial critical success,
1: but it doesn't,
0: I personally don't think it holds up. It's
1: one of those ones where it's. it almost feels like it's Shakespeare for the sake of Shakespeare.
0: Mm, yeah, exactly. And people don't look into the deeper sort of themes that are present in that story. Cause it's not just a love story, which is like part of the problem of how people interpret it. Like it's not just a dumb love story. There's so much more going on. And sometimes I feel yeah. like it's very, some interpretations are very surface level. Like don't going, not going into like, you know, the, toxic masculinity of all of Romeo's friends, the patriarchy of the heads of the families, and how that affects the mm. women in their
1: lives, like, that's the shit we should be talking yeah, about. I, I do feel like the Zeffirelli version is just one of those films where yes. it's, re, they're not, that's connected to the characters, as they like, potentially yeah.
0: could be. So I yeah, comparing um, the couple between the two films I definitely believed in Leo and Claire Dane's romance more, it was so much more believable like the chemistry was like Flying off the screen, like, and the oh, yeah. original one, it's yeah. I didn't feel anything, and I didn't really remember anything of their relationship, to be honest. <laughs>
1: nothing. I remember <laughs> nothing,
0: even though I just watched yeah. It. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's one of those films where, like, uh, unfortunately, the standout is the costumes. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that
0: up because I have some interesting facts about that film. Because at the time when that film came out, it was. Nominated for a few Academy Awards and a 1-1 for cinematography and costume design, which I can totally understand because the costumes, they're very colourful. They're very, like, again, very much of the time. But, you know, the codpiece was the winner, got an Academy Award. Amen. (laughs) Oh, Yeah and
1: of course you got all the votes
0: you got all the votes <laughs> and like you no. but being serious like the costumes were quite nice and i'm glad it won an award but it was also nominated for best director and best picture making it i mean i don't know how accurate this article is but it says it makes it the last shakespearean film to be nominated for a best picture to date which is interesting Ooh. and i'm not sure if that's True. It might be true because I can't think of any other Shakespearean film that's been like in recent years, at least that's been nominated or
1: won anything. Yeah, Yeah. I don't. I don't think Michael Fassbender, the Michael Fassbender Macbeth, got. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think that got any best picture nominations. Maybe sound. That sounded nice.
0: (laughs) Michael Fassbender. Got clang clang. (laughs) They got clang clang. Here's an award. (laughs) You could argue that for so many films that have gotten that (laughs) award. It's just like, why did that win? Anyway. (laughs) I shouldn't, uh, I'm not giving any more (laughs) airtime to the Academy. (laughs) (laughs) I have no no patience. But my favourite fact about this whole film, and I'm so sad that a version of this film doesn't exist in our universe, Paul McCartney has stated that he was considered by Zeffirelli for the role of Romeo. And that blows my tiny little mind. Why did we not get a version of this
1: film with Paul McCartney as Romeo? Our, Devastating. Our Beatles our Beatles boy Paul McCartney as Romeo. Mm. How old have you been at the time? I... Paul McCartney. I don't know, actually. Um, that that is a version that could have potentially like made that whole. Because I'm a big fan of the Beatles. Grew up on the Beatles. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. Um. So that in having Paul McCartney could have potentially changed my viewing experience as yeah. a yeah. young woman in the two thousands.
0: Absolutely. Also, as a young woman in the two thousands, I would have potentially been more engaged in Mm. my year nine English class I would have enjoyed it a lot more I think a lot of people would have enjoyed it a lot more and it could have capitalized on the sort of Beatlemania that was present very much at that time but I Um, think I don't have a quote but I think Zeffirelli wanted to go for more unknown actors that were closer in age and you know fair enough mm, like they 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 acted (laughs) and Paul McCartney went off and did his own thing so you know and um I'll Find the link for it later and I'll put it in the show notes. But there's this fantastic clip on YouTube. It's from, like, an after-school special show or something where they got the Beatles to act out a scene from Shakespeare. It's the mechanics theatre scene. It's the play within a play at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh! <laughs> it's so good. I need good. that link. Yeah, I will send you, you are a link. You were sending me that link after this. I will send you, I f- pray it's still on YouTube and I will send you the link and I'll include it in the show notes as well. It's just... Hilarious hearing them deliver Shakespeare in those Liverpool accents. It's brilliant. Ugh. I'm sure in an alternate universe somewhere there's Paul McCartney playing Romeo. And instead of Hey Jude, we've got Hey Juliet. Ooh. Become my wife. <laughs> <meet> your cousin. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on for Zeffirelli, because now it's time for Baz Luhrmann. Let's leave it all Baz. I literally say that. <laughs> Baz! Focus on film number two, Baz Luhrmann's insane recreation that was insanely popular, insanely being in italics. While it was the, cray cray! It was cray cray fam, and here's why. <laughs> I lay it all out. While the Zeffirelli movie went straight to the point and started off strong, this movie from 1996 fooled around with the audience. With a woman on a TV, I didn't even say news anchor. I just said a woman on a TV delivers the prologue in a matter-of-fact way, which was undoubtedly a good start. And I still agree with that. I think that's such such a cool way to bookend the film. Sorry, especially
1: with yeah. the um the the uh, the Shakespearean chorus. Like so many people struggle with, okay, what are we doing with this? Is it a narrator? What's going on? Um, but like the TV, and it it bookends so perfectly at the end because mm. you've got the zooming and then the zoom out at the end. Yeah. Just.
0: It's brilliant. Mm. I love it. That's the the one thing I did love about that movie. And actually, Uh, I will just backtrack one more time to Zeffirelli because I just remembered another brilliant fact. That opening mm. prologue in um, Zeffirelli, the Zeffirelli version, that was spoken by Laurence Olivier. And it was completely on accident. So he reportedly dubbed the voice of also um he did the prologue and epilogue and reportedly dubbed the voice of the italian actor playing lord montague but he wasn't credited for that in the film oh wow the story is he was just so happened to be in rome where he was shooting another film and he visited the studio where romeo and juliet was being shot and he asked zeffirelli oh is there anything i can do anything i can do to help out be involved and he was given the prologue to read and that's why he's in there (laughs) Because he just so happened to wander under set and be like, can I do anything for you?
1: Wouldn't happen now. You'd get you know, security cool. Like,
0: It's um, like, you're standing too close. You need to be 1.5 metres away. Also, get off our <laughs> studio lot. <laughs> get out of here. Call me on Zoom later. Maybe we'll do it over Zoom. Anyway, back to learning That back is to fun one. It's so much fun. I love that. Yeah. Okay, then I go past that. Then we are rocketed into a drug field 90s montage of helicopters flying around and police cars wailing down the streets. The prologue is repeated again, and the characters are introduced with bold white text explaining who they were. It was like the beginning of CSI Miami, not the start of a movie. Mm. It was CSI Verona. Yeah. And that did confuse me. I would love to, I mean, he's probably answered this question at some point, but I would love to ask Baz why he repeated the prologue why it was repeated twice
1: in the opening of the film. It's so bizarre. Maybe it was like one of those editor. the editor had two options and they asked Baz which one he liked and he said, oh, I like them both. And so they put both in or something like that.
0: And they were just like, you're crazy, Baz. And he's like, am I, am I crazy or am I just a filmmaker?
1: Am I a visionary
0: auteur? <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to doubt me when I do Moulin Rouge in a few years.
1: <laughs> oh, great film.
0: Mm, great film. Oh, I Controversially, I love Moulin Rouge more than I like Romeo and Juliet. I'm the same. Thank God, because so many people I talk to, they like Romeo and Juliet more than the Moulin Rouge. Very rarely do I have people agree with me on that. So thank God I have an ally in you. <laughs> I really,
1: I, yeah, sorry. I, I yeah. don't like Romeo and Juliet as much as Moulin Rouge, but that's because of the source material. Yeah, I'm not a big yeah. fan of Romeo and Juliet, the play in general. So that's yeah. that's my factor in there.
0: Yeah, and that's totally understandable. And you could argue with Moulin Rouge, it's a Romeo and Juliet kind of story, but with subtle changes to adapt to the bizarre nature of the film and the setting and the time place. And arguably it works a bit better and it hits harder at the end because it's not Family Feuds. It's tuberculosis. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Oh, because I I watched moulin Rouge before I saw Romeo and Juliet, and I was thirteen years old when my mum showed that to me, and I just remember the end of the film, and I'm just angrily crying, and I'm just like, this sucks. It's so sad, but I loved it. <laughs> I don't understand what I'm feeling. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I was the same. I also saw moulin Rouge before I saw Romeo and Juliet, and when I was younger um i loved it and then when i was like 18 i got really angry about um nicole kidman's um character's death is it Sat
0: i think it's sateen it's close to fontaine like yeah it's is close a rat, to
1: but not. oh my god i just got that because they both had tuberculosis <gasps>
0: <gasps> what oh i didn't even make oh. that connection Uh, you, you smart bastard you dirty dog <laughs> you dirty dog <laughs> you you cad as if you're listening please be a guest on my podcast <laughs> i have questions
1: <laughs> but it, it does feel like moulin rouge was more of a um like a reply like uh you know maybe how romeo and juliet could have been, been. you know totally. like I agree when, with that. when yeah. someone dies in a relationship the other person doesn't have to go kill (laughs) themselves
0: ideally no but like you see um I don't remember his name I just it's just Ewan McGregor you see Ewan McGregor's misery at his yeah at his typewriter it's heart-wrenching stuff
1: but he's doing something with it he's creating something positive he's writing their story Mm, he's gonna share how great she was yeah
0: but again that could potentially put across the toxic opinion that you can only make great art when you're super depressed and when bad shit has happened to you that's a whole that's, other that's another podcast i'm not going <laughs> to i'm not going to touch that cuz i don't want to get yelled at on the internet uh, oh, i love this <laughs> in this case romeo plus juliet has more madness than an acid trip <laughs> It is an acid trip. Mercutio is literally tripping acid or ecstasy or whatever he's taken. Literally drops pills. Literally drops pills into his friend's mouths. Here we go. Most of the time you have no idea what on earth is going on, caused by the fact that all of the scenes are rushed as though the movie knew it was failing, so it wanted to get itself over and done with. oh my goodness oh i am dropping so much shade i was such an angry teenager once we get all the introductions out of the way, the real romance begins between Juliet and her Romeo. And again, I agree with my past self. I say the love of the couple was the real icebreaker of the movie, the real beginning to the story. Their dedication to each other was truly heartwarming and tragic, especially their final scene together in the church. Yeah, I definitely agree with the fact that the romance is so much more believable than the 60s version. You you b- believe that Leo and Claire Danes are in love.
1: yeah. And that that moment when they first meet with the fish tank. Oh, that's, that's just great. Right. poetry.
0: Yes. Oh
1: my gosh,
0: that's the one bit in the film I wasn't skipping through. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to watch it properly, but I'd be like, skip, 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 and then I let that scene play out fully, like that. Yeah, was... no,
1: as as one of my favourite mm. uh, parts, but that, that's also because it's it's like it's not source material yeah
0: it's, it's totally original
1: it's to, it's original and it's just it makes it so much oh like you you oh it's just beautiful
0: it is beautiful and oh because the film is just so chaotic and in your face and confusing it's actually really nice to see Baz Luhrmann take a step back and have a really calm and quiet moment between the two it's like the film's taking a breather so I really appreciate that scene as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting as well because like you've got Shakespeare, which is you know it has its own ups and downs and ebbs and flows, and then you've got Baz Luhrmann who's very like, bah, 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 bah. and then you've got this beautiful moment which is not Shakespeare, it's Baz Luhrmann, and yeah. it's nice and slow, and it's just it's it's very unique and it's kind of like a little short film of its own yeah yeah
0: it's wonderful i do appreciate that bit this scene so talking again about the church scene this scene was a cue for the waterworks the tragedy of it all too much for some of my fellow movie watchers aka all the other girls in my U9 English class because I went to an all-girls
1: school and everyone was just in tears
0: (laughs) and I was just there like
1: yeah (laughs) this is stupid I was the same all-girls school we we were like a lot of girls very heavily invested (laughs) (laughs) we love love we We love love
0: love we love love and love loves people that love love Oh, yeah. So, it's all too much for some of my fellow movie watchers, with Leonardo DiCaprio swallowing the dreaded poison as his love wakes from her sleep. Oh, God. Um. They share one last kiss before Romeo's death, and one gunshot later, it's all over, and the audience is left to cry over the loss of Romeo and Juliet. Especially Romeo. (laughs) Because there's Leonardo Mm. DiCaprio and he's hot. Although, that being said, like, I can see why like with because that with that film in particular leonardo dicaprio just exploded like he was a cultural phenomenon he was kind of like a sex symbol for that era but watching back i'd be like i would not want to be anywhere near this version of romeo the first shot you see him I and mean, he's writing his own stupid poetry in a book and he's smoking a cigarette it's just like oh god stay away <laughs> like that yeah. is that is a red flag
1: <laughs> yeah he's a whiny little fuck boy he
0: is oh my god like sh- <laughs> Like, there's no, uh, I mean, you could say there's no real good dudes in the in the story, because all the other guys that he's friends with, like, have very pornographic views of women, and are just ridiculous, and he is just a moony, moony crybaby. I mean... Yeah, though so Balthazar and Benvolio are good. Like, I always that, have yeah, some spot
1: know what, for Trent. Balthazar and Benvolio.
0: True. What is it about Benvolio
1: like in the Lemon film that you really like? Um I've always liked um Ben Volio um from the source material. Oh, right, um, yeah. Yeah, as well. So um just because he's just so and that's what his name is. His name comes from the word benevolent. He's oh. like the the one guy that is like he just wants to do good. He just wants to keep his friend out of trouble, hmm. he just wants to cheer his friend up. He really does like want the best for his friends which i think is like i think he's such a better character than friar lawrence or the nurse i think he's one of the few characters that is selfless in their actions
0: absolutely yeah i think even what yeah watching the lerman film i recognized that he was kind of drawn into the drama and you can see he was really like not really wanting to be a part of it but being swept along with it because he has to be because of the families like he can't come up and say no because he knows what's going to happen he's going to face the retaliation of that so he's kind of he's like kind of stuck in this stupid bullshit rivalry like even the kids don't even know why this rivalry exists it's
1: yeah yeah and, and Voli is also kind of like nearly almost yeah nearly almost everything he does he's going along with it to make sure romeo is okay
0: yeah, exactly. Well. Like,
1: he's, he's kind of like when they go along everywhere that they're going, Mercutio is there ranting and raving. Yeah, and Benvolio has kind of got like, especially in the um, Baz Luhrmann version, Benvolio's always got like one eye, one eye on Romeo the entire time. That is
0: true. Yeah, he's always watching out for him. <sighs> Maybe I need to rewatch it again because I do. My attention does get caught up a lot in Mercutio because he's just so out there and wacky and. Probably love it em- and emotionally unstable most likely It mm-hmm. does grab a lot of attention but yeah I think you need to stand by Benvolio a little bit more
1: I think that was that's where I, that's just where I've always been like since you know and I and I think because whenever we read it in class I was always like I'll be Benvolio oh I
0: could I could see you as a Benvolio you're such a Benvolio totally <laughs> and I'm the gun <laughs> <laughs> bang bang this is nearly the end actually now This was much stronger than Zeffirelli's version, agreed, where Romeo, Mm. the Zeffirelli version, where Romeo doesn't even show a glimpse of emotion from hearing of the death of Juliet until much later. (laughs) And then I ask, did he just suddenly turn into Spock from Star Trek, unable to feel any emotion whatsoever? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm talking about um, the Zeffirelli Romeo, not um, Leo's Romeo, because obviously he has the I defy you stars bit and screaming so like yeah (laughs) in comparison that is a major emotional reaction and the Zeffirelli version like it's not really apparent that he's feeling that badly initially yeah until he actually gets to write to Juliet and it hits him which like you know arguably you could say like that's not necessarily a bad thing because when you get the news of someone dying you don't automatically start crying necessarily you could just go into shock but
1: I don't know. Or disbelief as or well, dis- yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. So mm. I was probably, yeah, because obviously I had no experience with that sort of thing as a 14-year-old, so I might discredit that point, even though it's a funny line <laughs> in the essay. Here we go, final paragraph. All I can Oof. say is I have no favourites out of the two. <laughs> One was a complete Ooh. book fest, and the other was quick imp- and <gasps> pale. Oh my god, I remember this sentence. This... <laughs> One was a complete fest. and the other was quick and painless, kind of like the bullet that shot Juliet's brains out. Oh. <laughs> The, my teacher didn't like underline that sentence be like see me after class are you okay yeah <laughs> that is so brutal again i must have been such a really angry teenager wow, wow. <laughs> that's definitely my favorite sentence i think i've ever written
1: <laughs> so brutal that is that is fabulous yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> wow
0: thank you. Oh. Let's move on. <laughs> that is such a controversial statement. If these two movies were moulded together, it would have turned out to be a terrific movie. Interesting. And a true honour to the memory of the play and of William Shakespeare, the poetic genius himself. And so. Ah. Wow. And then, I think this was part of the homework. I had to give it a rating out of 10. So Zeffirelli, yeah. I gave it a 6 out of 10. And then Lerman, mm-hmm. I gave it a six and a half out of 10. So Pretty generous, actually. Yeah. Unusually generous. Maybe I should. Maybe yeah, I had. Given yeah. your
1: commentary. Yeah. Given <laughs> your commentary, that was. I would have thought generous. that would be like a three. Yeah. <laughs> and then. All right.
0: And then the cherry on top of the cake, my teacher with a final comment. An engaging, an engaging review. A plus. <laughs>
1: it's right
0: there if you don't believe me a plus
1: oh (laughs) done
0: that is my movie review oh my god what did you think of that (laughs) because that was such a thrill reading that back well
1: i'm i am i'm so jealous because (laughs) that was better than the bloody essay we had to write where um so for our year 9 essay on uh, Romeo and Juliet. It was um, uh, is Romeo. Is the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet um, at the fault of fate? And mm. I don't disagree. Yeah, I pre- pretty much raped it in my year nine essay and mm. like blamed Friar Lawrence, blamed Romeo for being on the rebound, blamed the nurse, blamed Juliet mm. for being too young to understand what love actually is. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, got like 53% because no, Marie. This is Shakespeare, and Shakespeare is all about fate. Mm.
0: <laughs> I think you were totally let down. Which I disagree
1: think... with. Oh my god! You need justice. <laughs> that is such. You need justice. Exactly. I need justice because <laughs> I think we we've talked about this before, where we've um talked about. Um other Shakespearean stories like Macbeth, yeah um, Hamlet, um Measure for Measure, um, all the other Shakespearean plays where um, there's a magical element, there it seems to be an element of fate like the yeah. witches in Macbeth, and Macbeth um, is told, you know, he'll be king but he'll die. And mm-hmm, he won't have any lines of kings after him. Yeah. Um and it happens no matter how much he tries to find it. Whereas Romeo and Juliet there's no magical mystical element yeah exactly so yeah. why is there any reason or how does that prove that sorry this is me ranting no I please rant, a, justice rant away for my essay mark <laughs> <laughs> justice for marie's essay <laughs> Deserved justice. It was not fake. There was no mention of fate. The only mention to fate is that they were star-crossed lovers, and that is not enough. <laughs> mm.
0: We should send this episode to your English teacher. We're still <laughs> mad. <laughs> and um, just to close this out, I have some amazing facts about um, the Baz Loman film as well. Some of a couple of which mm. genuinely shocked me. Um, oh. Originally, before Claire Danes was attached, Natalie Portman had been cast as Juliet. Ooh! But however, during rehearsals, it was felt by the team or by Baz Luhrmann that she looked too young for the part. And this is quoting from Wikipedia, it said, the footage from the rehearsals looked as though DiCaprio was molesting her. Um. Ah.
1: Yucky. (laughs) Yucky. Though, so, like, when you think about it, they are kids, so... Yeah. Uh, well,
0: actually, given that statement, so Baz Luhrmann stated that Portman was too young at the time and made DiCaprio look older than intended. So Leo, he was 21 at the time. Has it a guess at how old Natalie Portman was when she was rehearsing for Juliet and she had been cast. 15? Close. She was 14 years old. Fourteen-year-old meant to be having these really intimate scenes with a twenty-one-year-old Leonardo DiCaprio. He
1: that's why like, I have such a problem with the source material. Yeah. Romeo like and Juliet, and casting either child actors or actors who are adults playing children. Yeah. Because it just doesn't. It's not. No. No. Children. That's that's always what. That's always why I've had like a problem mm. with. Romeo and Juliet because they're just too young exactly
0: and that's like and it's crazy how this kind of played out in real life with Portman being 14 and they were like oh we're uncomfortable with that it's like but that's literally the story you're making yeah that that blew my mind I couldn't believe she was 14 years old at the time that just I can't believe they they got that far into it and only then realised during rehearsals that it was an uncomfortable situation. Like
1: surely they should have realized when they like when they when they figured out there was a seven year age difference.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, but yeah, I think Natalie Portman has spoken about this, especially her early career stuff, how she was being sexualized by people when she was in Leon the Professional and she was like eleven or twelve. And that yeah. happens to a lot of I mean, that's a whole other issue to talk about, but it happens to a lot of women in Hollywood being sexualized yeah. before you even hit puberty so mm. Mm. <sighs> anyway mm. moving on from that gross topic yucky yucky yuck all the credit goes to Claire Danes because after Portman fell through, through they considered uh. Sarah Michelle geller <laughs> uh. interesting choice but she turned down the role due to scheduling conflicts and DiCaprio uh. claimed that that was actually the better choice because he said that Danes should be cast and because he felt that she was genuine in her line delivery and did not try to impress him by acting flirtatious oh, you're giving right. yourself a bit too much credit DiCaprio it's like oh, all the girls were flirting with me but Claire didn't so that's why I
1: liked her. I will say I've like all the versions that I've seen stage versions as well like Claire Danes is my favorite Juliet
0: yeah I was really like I'm so glad I rewatched these films because i was actually really impressed by claire dane's performance i think she did a fabulous job
1: because mm, it's very it is very difficult source material and so many Juliets will just you know like like um olivia hussey, hussey. yeah um, yeah we'll yeah, just take it a little bit too melodramatic mm. and then no one can relate to it and yeah. you don't actually feel for her
0: yeah exactly right she she was champagne casting and I think she, I don't know how old she was at the time, but I think definitely older than 14. So <laughs> that's fine. And yeah. this was one of my favourite things I read because um, obviously with this film, it's so mid nineties in terms of music. So you have, so you look at the soundtrack and it's like music from the cardigans and garbage. And then there's Radiohead that closes out the film. Yeah. And yeah, I have this amazing quote from Tom York um, from Radiohead because they use the song um, Exit Music for a film which was written specifically for the ending credits of the 1996 film and he said that he was inspired by the 1968 film um, when writing that song which is another weird connection between the two movies which is really interesting so he's quoted as saying "Um, I saw the Zeffirelli version when I was 13 and I cried my eyes out (laughs) And this is great. He says he cried his eyes out because I couldn't understand why the morning after they shagged, they just didn't run away. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> why yeah. didn't they just run away? Yeah. No. Yeah, and he said the song is written for two people who should run away before the bad stuff starts.
1: Oh, interesting
0: hot take from Tom York. <laughs>
1: I really like that hot take.
0: I really like it too. And I think in a way, like I've learned a lot of great stuff about this play and gotten some interesting perspectives, but I think when it comes down to it, I kind of agree with Tom York instead of this convoluted stuff. Like, I mean, I get Romeo killed her cousin and that fucks things up a bit, but why didn't they just run away together that night instead of the whole convoluted plan with the poison? It's like, just get out of town, guys. Get (laughs) out. There we go. We've gotten to the end of my review. That was such a roller coaster. <laughs> I'm glad that you joined hilarious. me on the
1: roll. <laughs> Thank you.
0: I feel like I should like write like I mean I might be biased by this review now that I've read it all the way through again, but I feel like I should just write a follow-up <laughs> and see if I can even get anywhere near the hilarity that I clearly displayed as a 15 year old.
1: I, I would actually I would actually love to see you when you finish this series to have your final episode be another review. Oh. I, would, I would, love that. I would love for your final episode to be now that you've learned everything and you've watched the films again. What are your final thoughts? Oh. The, I want to know, Jess Burden. Oh,
0: that is, that is something I will definitely consider. Because when I was, when I'm thinking about the series, and I think about the end episode, I definitely want to have like a final review of everything, like all the thoughts that I've been having during this whole process from like reading the play and watching the movie so I think I will do like a final hot take on the films and do like a final like sort of film reviews on both of them I just, just because you've suggested it and I trust you wholeheartedly and you're my good friend, I will do it for you Oh, <laughs> and you will get all the credit it's like this was Marie's idea <laughs> please thank Marie and go follow everything that she does because she's a genius and amazing
1: <laughs> Oh, shut up
0: <laughs> no Well, I was just getting to that because I was wondering, obviously um, COVID time, nobody's doing a lot of anything, but if people want to know a little bit more about you, is there anything you want to plug or suggest
1: people check out? Look, I'm a big fan of community television. Um, So I would suggest, I'm not um, like that everyone go and watch some Channel 31 or Channel 44, um, depending on where you're from. Uh, but if you want to talk to me on the social media, mm-hmm. uh, you can just search It's Marie Kelly and you can pretty much find me everywhere just by searching It's Marie Kelly.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I will definitely plug those socials in the show notes so people can go and follow you. <laughs> no. We'll or just chat. Or we'll just chat, exactly. And you've done so many cool things. You've done films. You've You've written a book which people Mm. should go check out. So I will be including a link to that as well because more people should be reading that shit. Thank you for taking your time to do this with
1: me. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, um, thank you for inviting me. I had so much fun chatting about this.
0: Oh, me too. It's been a thrill and a joy and a pleasure. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And there we go. That was our
0: ramble down memory lane. I definitely have to admit that I was harsher in my opinions during puberty than post-puberty, so please forgive me if anything that you heard in this episode was frankly a bit harsh or cause for concern. I don't want to give past me any excuses. However, I've definitely grown as a writer and consumer of cinema and hope to continue growing. Whilst before this show, I never thought I'd revisit these films in particular again I am genuinely keen to watch them again and maybe do a follow-up review with Marie again down the line and who knows maybe I'll record the full episode this time there's bits and pieces that I really wish could have been shown off in this episode had not time and lack of recording thwarted me I was especially interested in looking further into Lerman's Makushio as a coded queer character in this film and how that reflects through a contemporary viewing and more importantly through a completely queer viewing so that is something I definitely want to pick up again. But aside from that I'm really glad I did this really silly episode and kicked back with a good friend who by the way you should be following on her socials at it's Marie Kelly as well as her website, which you will find again in the show notes. It includes links to all of her work, including two short films that I wrote Ooh, ah! as well as her books, notably Tales of Teenage Turbulence, postcard poetry, and her kids' book, Tigers Play, Hide and Seek, which you can all purchase now. You will also be able to find on her website a link to an article she's recently written about the importance of community television. It's an incredible read, and I would highly recommend you check it out also. But in the meantime, thank you all again so much for listening in. Stay safe out there on the world of the stage, and stay away from film autos. Now, uh, excuse me, I'm going to go off on a Radiohead marathon. Thank you for listening to Bite Your Thumb. Intro and outro music is Minstrel Guild by Kevin McClood. You can follow Bite Your Thumb on Instagram at BiteYourThumbPod. And for any questions, inquiries or a sonnet, you can shoot us an email at BiteYourThumbPod at gmail.com.